to everybody we meet, to enlarge Shalom from where we are across the world to everywhere we go. And we talked about before that can happen, we must go deeper. We must go deeper with God because it's there that we find our identity. It's there we get the character. It's there that we get the gifts. And it's there that we please God. We've looked about going wider and how we need to be a church that's serving one another and helping one another to be the shalom and largers in the world. And today we come to higher. And this morning, I will be honest, I was going to go for sort of a Barack Obama, yes we can type sermon. Try and excite you that... Be high in expectation of what God can do in you. Be high in expectation of what God can do through you. And be in high in expectation of what God is already doing and invites us to join in. So I'm going to tell some stories and I'll see which ones I leave out and which ones I keep in. And then afterwards I wonder if God might want to do some of those higher things in our hearts today. Does that sound okay? Would you tell me if it wasn't? (laughs) So the first thing I want to say is we can trust in that God can do higher things in us. I said earlier that I felt that Acts wasn't a book that was just for the first century, but is for us today. But I don't know about you, but I hear all sorts of conversations about, can God still do it? Is God still healing today? You know, you might have come across arguments about this sort of the post-apostolic era, um, about the gifts finishing in the Bible and not being available to us. You may have heard of all sorts of arguments to do with healing spirit, mind and body. But you know, the question of whether God can heal now and healed in the past and can he heal in the future is redundant. Because in the Bible, God tells us his name and he gives his name through Moses to the Israelites and he says, my name is Yahweh, your healer. And when God reveals his name, he reveals his character. And when God reveals his character, he reveals who he is. And it's not a matter if God could heal then, and he can heal now, and he can heal in the future. Because it's who God is. And when we invite God into a situation, a circumstance, and a heart, God comes. And when God comes, he can only but bring healing. Because it's who he is. And the word healing that we have in the English comes from the word whole. And the, and the healing that God brings is healing of mind, body and spirit. So perhaps you're someone who needs that emotional healing this morning. Let me tell you the story of Elijah. Elijah up at the top of Mount Carmel, the one remaining prophet of Yahweh, your healer. And up against him, hundreds of prophets of Baal. And they're going to have what I call a God off. They're going to have a proper God off and they're there and they're going to take it in turns to put a ball and a load of wood and they're going to call down from heavens the fire and they're going to prove which God is better. And the bell prophets get their ball on the wood and they start to cry out. Nothing happens. They start to shout louder. They start to sing. They start to dance. And I love Elijah taunting them, saying, come on, guys, dance more. Shout louder. And nothing happens. Morning to noon. Then Elijah gets a whole load of water, pours it over the ball. You know the story. Lord God, Father of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, send the fires and show that you are the God of Israel. And down it comes. And when he wins that battle, I would like to think that Elijah might have a rest. That's a pretty horrendous thing, standing on a mountain, taking on all these bad prophets. 
but instead he gets back to his destination and waiting for him is basically a death warrant from the two most powerful people in the universe, Ahab and Jezebel. And Elijah is shattered, he's emotionally distressed, he's gone and he's facing being hunted down and killed for what he did. So he runs away, he leaves everything behind, he runs into the desert, he collapses under a broom tree and he says, Lord, take my life. We find Elijah anxious, fearful for his life, broken emotionally, given up on everything. Lord, take me. And it's here we see how God heals people with deep emotional issues. Because God doesn't answer his prayer. He sends his angels and says, Elijah, food and rest. Food and rest food and rest and then only when Elijah's ready he leads him up to Mount Horeb and we know the story first and I can never remember the order but first there's the earthquake and God's not in the earthquake then there's the great storm and the winds and God's not in the winds and then there's the fire and surely God's in the fire but no and it's only when it's stillness it's only when Elijah's mind is finally silent It's only when he's been healed that much through food and rest that he's ready to hear the word of God, that God comes and leads him back into relationship with Elisha and back to the calling that's him. For those of you here who have moments in your life that dig deep, for those of you who know what it's like to be under that broom tree, don't be scared of God. He's not going to send you to Uganda tomorrow. He's going to heal you over time. With food and rest, food and rest, food and rest. And when we're ready, he'll speak into us and bring us back to life in all its fullness. Maybe it's physical healing that we're desperate for. Maybe your bones are tired. Maybe your muscles are worn. And we can laugh and love the story of Peter and John going through Gates Beautiful. And unlike the others who are looking up, because my word, it was a beautiful gate. Not when I was around that time. But it was gold and it was bronze and it was majestic. But as Les Miserables said, Peter and John are looking down, look down, look down. And as they walk along, they come across this guy who's been carried from birth to this place to beg for money. And we see them in every street, in every city across the country, sat there with his paper cup and probably with a mangy dog next to him. And Peter and John hear him say, got any spare change? And Peter and John say, look at me. And he looks up and has eye contact with Peter, who says, silver and gold we do not have, but in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he disobeys again, because he doesn't stand up and walk. He stands up and dances. <laughs> and he does cartwheels, I reckon. And he runs into the temple to give glory to God who healed him. And we learn from this that it's okay to offer healing for those who are physically in a bad place. It's okay to offer them prayer. It's okay to trust in the God who is a healer. Because when Peter's given that wonderful sermon after of why this bloke is dancing around, he says the wonderful verse, everybody who comes to God in prayer will have refreshment and forgiveness. The best case scenario is when we pray for healing on people, they may be healed. The worst case scenario is 
They find refreshment and forgiveness for their journey. And I've had so many people in my congregations die of cancer, die of all sorts of things. But every time they've been prayed with, they felt that sense of hope, that sense of God walks with them. God is the God that heals. But maybe you're someone also who may need spiritual healing. I don't know about you, how much you know about the Pharisees. I am witter and I do apologise. Always be scared when I'm off my notes. <laughs> the Pharisees were a right-wing lot of politicians. They would have certainly voted to have sort of left the EU, I reckon. And, uh, but some of them weren't that bad. And uh, some of the Pharisees were, you know, they had a chat with Jesus. They had tried to point out the error of his ways. They had sort of said, you know, you think you're a prophet? Come on, let me show you the wrongness. And one of those Pharisees was a guy called Simon. And he invites Jesus to come for dinner. And as always, if you invite Jesus to dinner, he comes. If Jesus lived in our generation, he'd be my size. Uh, but Jesus ate what I ate, but walked it off. I have a <laughs> Jesus uh, goes into the house and we're told that they're reclining around the table. Just help me get the imagery right. Three-sided table, leaning down on the left arm, eating with the right hand. And they're all lying out eating in that way. And let me just uh, really frighten you, for those of us who live behind our private hedges and big front doors, that would have been wide open. (laughs) And beggars may have walked in, and friends may have walked in, and all sorts of people just walked into the house. And at one stage, this woman walks into the room, and she's notoriously sinful. What did she do? What did people know? And she walks in because she hears that Jesus is there. And she stands behind Jesus, who's still lying down on his left arm and eating. And she stands behind him, and just being in the presence of him, makes her burst into tears. And as she weeps, she notices that the tears are dropping onto Jesus' feet. And she does the most intimate thing because she gets down on her knees and she unties her hair and she wipes the tears dry. And then she starts to kiss Jesus' feet uncontrollably, non-stop, only to pour an alabaster of perfume over them. And as this is going on, Simon the Pharisee has got Jesus. He's not a prophet. He says to the crowd, if he was a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman anywhere near him. And look how intimate they're being. He's not a prophet. And Jesus says to Simon, look at me. Can I tell you a story? As Jesus did. And Simon said, yes, teacher which I think he says sarcastically in my head. Jesus says there's two blokes and they're both skint and they go to some dodgy money lenders for some money and one borrows 500 quid, the other 50 grand. It comes to payment day a month later and neither of them have got a penny. So they go to him and say, we ain't got any money. And And the bloke says, hey, I forgive all your debts. Jesus says, out of which one of those men do you think loved him the most? And Simon correctly says, the one who was let off the most amount of money. Jesus says, you are right. She says, he says, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But yet this woman's not stopped kissing my feet since she entered. When I came in, you didn't anoint my head in oil, but this woman's anointed my feet with a whole alabaster of perfume. 
when you came in, you didn't offer me water for my feet. But this woman hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears since she came in. And he says, yes, you're right. This woman has done a lot wrong. But she is forgiven. And the other people say, who is this guy who thinks he can forgive sins? And Jesus finally looks at her and says, go, you are forgiven. Go in faith. To come into Jesus' presence, whoever you are, whatever you've done, whatever brokenness you carry, fill that presence of Jesus, leave you weeping with delight. And maybe like me, you've got those sins that you just carry heavy every day. You know the ones that you say sorry for at least five times a day? I, I sometimes compare it to a, I'm from Dorset, so allow me to use a tractor illustration. If you ever see tractors on the fields, they've got the markings on the field. You don't have to steer a tractor, you just drive and it follows the two paths on the, on the fields. And it's a bit like that with our sin, isn't it? We just cannot but, we are always doing it, we are always not moving on. But today Jesus says, come into my presence, I can transform that into beauty because we have Yahweh your healer and he wants to bring wholeness to you and I of mind body and spirit trust that God can do great things in you don't settle for anything more I want to ask that you trust God can do higher things through you I don't know about you, I've always been fascinated by the story when Jesus is just walking along the shore and says to a couple of people in a boat, Oi, follow me. And they drop their rods and their whole security and just go, yeah, all right. And then he goes further on, he says, and you lot, come and follow me. Yeah, we're off. What on earth's going on in that story? Quick history lesson. Remember that Galilee is a Jewish community. And at six year olds, all the kids would go to the synagogue to learn the Hebrew scriptures. By 10 years old, every single Jewish child would know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, off by heart. All of that. I wish I bought a bigger Bible, that looks so great, does it? All of that, off by heart. And the best of the best of the best. Those who were brilliant at memorising it, those who got the understanding of it, those who just thought this is just, we've got what this could mean and how to put this to our life, they would go on to continue their studies and the others would go off and join the family business. And the ones who would go on to follow, the best of the best of the best, would go on to about the age of 14 or 15 to have done the whole Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, memorised studied, understood Genesis through Malachi memorised so all the Jews have got that far and the ones who are the best of the best of the best and these are like the 1 or 2 percent they go off to meet rabbis and say can I come with you, I want to be part of you I want to follow you, I want to be your disciple and the rabbi will throw questions what does it mean in Psalm 12, what does it mean in Ecclesiastes and they'll throw all these questions around and if a rabbi sees in that person they can do what I can do they can be like me they say come, follow me and the greatest privilege is for that Jewish boy to just go and follow his disciple 
We have Jesus, this amazing rabbi, who's healing the sick and preaching good news to the poor, who's bringing an upside-down kingdom. And he says to these fishermen, the ones who were not the best of the best of the best, this is the B team, these are the ones that are, are, have not made it. And he says to them, come follow me. I can see that you can do what I can do. And of course, they do what every young Jewish boy is called to do, which is drop everything to learn to do what their master does. Jesus sees in his disciples this. They can be like me. They can do the things that I can do. No wonder Peter tried to walk on water. He saw his master doing it, and I must do it too. No wonder the Acts of the Apostle was so similar to the Gospels, because they're doing the things that Jesus did. And Jesus called you, because you can do what Jesus can do. He's called you because he sees you as his disciples and says, you can heal the sick. You can bring love to those you hate. You can bring peace in the most turmoil circumstances. You can be my disciples. Now drop everything and follow me. I, I used to work in pubs and the first thing you learn in pubs is never trust the chef. <laughs> no, because if they go off ill, you're left with a menu and, uh, and nobody can cook it. So as a publican, you learn how to cook everything on your menu. So if ever you want a nice meal, don't come to me with a load of ingredients. But if you want something I've ever cooked for a, uh, for a pub, I'm amazing. And I can do about 80 steaks at once, all differently <laughs> done. And uh, one of the days when I was in, because the chef had let us down for probably about 50 time that week, I went in and I had to make the big chilli. And uh, in the pubs, you have these massive saucepans of chilli con carne. And uh, I was never the greatest cook, but I had a go at making this chilli. And then at the end, you taste this massive vat of chilli. And it's like, oh, that's bland. I'm rubbish at cooking, what am I doing? And it was at those moments that I'd go into the back of our big walking fridge. And we had a special chilli at the back that was rocket fuel. I mean, you handled it with gloves. It was powerful chilli. It was awful you know if you've got it in your eyes you couldn't see for a week it was terrible and you just cut off the slightest bit of this chili and you put it in the dish and you stir it up and suddenly it was full of flavor it was magnificent each one of us is called to be a chili pepper transforming the community around us and god says i can do higher things through you i call you because you are my disciples And lastly, I want to say, trust the high thing that God is doing in the community. I've been amazed at how God has used me over the last 12 years since the testimony I was. And I'm so obvious that none of it's down to me. I just recently were preaching on the names of God. That's why Yahweh, your healer. And this Sunday I did Yahweh, your banner which was really tough to preach on, especially when you're a pacifist like me. But Amanda, and as I looked at Yahweh, your banner, um, you've got this story about how they, then Moses held up the staff, they won. And when his arm dropped, they lost. And I realised it's only when Jesus is high and that Jesus is working through me that I can do anything. It's not. But just a story of a friend of mine called Alistair. Um, you get ready to stone me, but I used to play Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, which I'm told is awful now. I'm in an evangelical church. Um, I quite liked it, and uh, it's up there with Harry Potter and things like that. And uh, I used to play Dungeons and Dragons, and then I became a Christian. It used to be sort of my evangelistic table, that and my cricket team. 
And around this table, there'd be a Buddhist, there was an atheist, there was an agnostic, and there was this passionately in evolutionary scientist. And I used to try and just share Jesus with them in a nice way. Sometimes the parts I played in Dungeon Dragons would be a Christian priest or something. And, and it was fun. I was young. And uh, funny enough, Alistair, the guy who was the environmental scientist, was as anti-church as anybody. And then one day he gave me a ring and he said, Ben. I said, Alistair, good to hear from you. He said, what church are you going to now? And I said, I've just moved churches. I was at the New Frontiers, but we felt God called us to the Baptist church at the top of town. He said, I think I'm going to come along on Sunday. I said, what? (laughs) I said, talk me through why. And he said, well, on Monday I was walking the dog. And he had a Bernese mountain dog, you know, one of those, a massive thing. And uh, Alistair said, I was walking the dog at Maiden Castle. And um, I saw a vicar. And the vicar said, morning. And I said, morning. I said, all right. And he said, on Tuesday, he said, I was walking the dog at Maiden Castle, and I saw the vicar, and the vicar said, morning. And he said, I said, morning. I said, right. And he said, on Wednesday, I saw the vicar walking in the morning. And the vicar said, morning. I said, morning. And I felt funny about that. And he said, so I made the decision, if I saw the vicar tomorrow, I'll give you a ring. <laughs> but this time, this time he didn't walk in the morning, he walked in the afternoon. And he saw the vicar, he said, afternoon. And Alistair said, afternoon. He didn't, as we all don't, we don't allow God to speak to us that quickly. So he said, on the Friday, if I, if I see the vicar, I'll speak to Ben. And this time he walked at Mornbury Rings, not Maiden Castle. And he saw the vicar, morning! <laughs> so Alistair phoned me up and he said, I'm coming to church, which I was half dreading because he looked like an orc. He had a blue mo- <laughs> he got a blue bright Mohican. And I was thinking, I didn't know if my lovely middle-class 60-year-old lady on the welcome team was quite ready for me. <laughs> and Alistair came to church. He came on an alpha course. He gave his life to the Lord. Um, he, he, he still teaches uh, biology and physics in the secondary school um, but the book that he loves the most is the book that he never takes out of his pocket and it's his bible and wherever you see him he's reading his bible passionate about it and informed him I go off to train to be a minister I get a phone call from Alistair saying that me and Jen his wife then who was also saved said we're getting baptised I said Alistair I can't wait for you to tell your story he said I'm not going to share my story I said, why not? He said, no one would be amazed. So I told him a story over the phone. And I told him the story of a man with serious mental health problems and schizophrenia, perhaps, and demon-possessed and just broken in every way. And I told the story about the man who lived in a village and was so distressed that he would rip off all of his clothes and would beat himself and stab himself with stones and rocks. I told him the story about how this guy was so scary that they used to remove him from the town because they had nowhere else to put this guy back in the first century. And I told him that what they ended up doing was tying him with metal up in the tombs and how they would leave him there. And then I told him the story about how he was so raged up that he would break the metal and run them back into town and self-harm again and weep and shout out and cry. And then I told him the story that Jesus, for only this reason we think, crossed to the other side, saw this man, and as he comes running down saying, Jesus most high, what have you got to do with me? Jesus touches him. says, be free, be healed, be loved, no peace. And suddenly we see the greatest transformation ever. We see all that's wrong in the world in this one guy who's tearing his clothes, who's self-harming, who's not at peace, who's in turmoil. And suddenly we're told that when the crowd come to see them, he sat at the feet of Jesus 
in his right mind. Obviously, the guys, something to do with the pigs, I'm leaving out the story, they run and kill themselves in the water, but we'll come back to that another time. Um, but suddenly the people would come back and say, Jesus, leave us. We can't cope with this. And the bloke follows Jesus to the boat and says, Jesus, let me come. You're wonderful. You saved me. Let me come with you. And Jesus says, no. You're to stay here and tell everybody what I've done for you. And Jesus ran around, sorry, the Gerizim demoniac legion, ran around the whole region showing what Jesus had done for him. And I want you to hear this good news. Because it doesn't tell you that everybody was baptised and saved. It doesn't tell you that everybody was healed. It tells you that everybody was amazed. And each one of our testimonies is amazing. The fact that we come to church and take communion and we feel forgiven and more peaceful. The fact that we make decisions guided by prayer. The fact that we know and love in the most difficult times. And I said, Alastair, your story is amazing. Share it. And everybody found hope. God is at work in the world. The good news of the Talking Jesus survey is one in five non-Christians are waiting for an encounter with Jesus. It tells us one in five non-Christians are waiting for an encounter with Jesus. And it tells us that the most likely way that they will become a born-again Christian is through one of their friends or one of their family members leading them to Jesus and sharing with them the Jesus story. I want you to know that God is at work in the world. He's doing his mission. He's sowing seeds of love in people's hearts. And he's just waiting for you and I to trust in what God's doing and join in and share our Jesus stories of who he is, what he's done for us and what he can do for them. And it's then that we can see them find the peace that Alastair found, that Gerizim Demonic found, that I found and that we found. One in five of those who use your cafe. One in five of those who use your toddler groups and your preschool. One in five of those people on your mobile phone who are non-Christian are waiting for you to tell them the stories of Jesus. Have a high expectation of what God can do in you. Of what God can do through you. And what God is already doing and asking us to join in. Our calling is to enlarge Shalom. We've looked at how we must go deeper and be shaped by the Father's love so that we can take people to where we're at. We've looked at going wider and becoming a community that's so radical and so different to the world that it shines like a light in a perverted and perverse generation. And today we go higher. We expect great things in our lives. We expect God to do great things through us. And we expect God to be doing wonderful things already. And he simply says, join in. What is your prayer? What are you going to go away this weekend ready to do? What would you ask God to do in you today? What would you ask God to do through you today or tomorrow? And what things are going on in the world that God's just simply asking you to join in? I'm going to leave you with silence now. As you contemplate those questions. And then, Mackie or the elders, I'm just going to, I'm not going to come back up, but if you feel calling to, to lead a prayer ministry or to get people to pray in threes or twos or to come forth prayer, I leave that to, to you guys. Um, but now, silence and ask those questions. What are you going to ask God to do in you? 
what you can ask God to do through you. And what's he already doing that he wants you to know so that you can join in. We have five minutes of quiet.